Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradfo Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradfo Show. That's delicious. I don't know if you know this, but it's the end of the decade. Ian Brown, end of the decade. Yeah, it's exciting, huh? I feel like the end of the de- the beginning of the decade started with me turning 40, which you were there for in Tampa. I was. I my, was wife, uh, my wife called you to say, we were in Tampa, and say, could you please have them put up happy birthday to Rob Bradford up on the Jumbotron in Tampa, Tropicana Field, remember? I do. And you did an excellent job of that, but I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't either, but I but I, I did what she asked me to do. But then ironically, that when I went down to the clubhouse, Daniel Bard said happy 40th birthday. I said, oh, thank you. I said, how did you know? It's like, because it was on the Jumbotron. <laughs> so there you go. Your, day, your birthday was made. So I guess you could say it was... It was uh, that is the defining moment of the decade, the beginning of the decade, and the defining moment at the end of the decade was my 50th birthday. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about the Red Sox. And in this podcast, Ian Brown, who has a recall like nobody's business, Ian Brown of MLB.com, you, are the best, you have the best memory of any reporter out there. Congratulations. I appreciate that. I think I you take, do. I take pride in my memory. I always like, and I always get in arguments with you. And you were you get all pissy, and you're like you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> and I kind of probably don't, but you have a very good recall, so that's a one of the many many reasons why you're on this podcast right now. We're gonna do what it was like to, to cover this cover this team from the media perspective over the last decade, starting so it started obviously in I guess you would start in 2010, 2010, yeah. 2010, which is probably one of the most unfor- uh, most unforgettable teams. Right, the 2010 team. Don't you feel I that mean, way? Unforgettable because they all got injured. I mean, that would have been that would have been a, a pretty good team. But I can rattle off, uh, I can rattle off a lot of things about a lot of these teams and players right. we're talking about. In 2010, it was like, yeah, okay, you know, all right, 
You, you mean forgettable or unfor- you said unforgettable? No, I said forgettable. No, you said unforgettable. Oh, whatever. Sorry. I'll edit <laughs> right, out, that I'll, makes more. It makes more sense. Now. I'll, edit yeah. out, I'll edit out the un. Like for instance, Jeremy Hermida. I mean, yeah, like, Jeremy Hermida. Yeah, he was he was a real talker. Yeah, yeah. So, but we're talking about covering the team, and uh, I know that Tim Britton of the Athletic, our old friend Tim Britton, used to cover for the Province Journal. He wrote something about how he's sort of evolved as a writer reporter over the last decade. Because for him, when did he, he start a writer? He started 2011 with his first year doing the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. so, and now he's engaged, and now he's yeah. working at the mats for the athletic. And he that is a pretty good jumping off uh, evolution of somebody. For you and I, it was just another decade. Just another decade. Team, just yeah. another decade covering the team. But it is it is interesting to look back about, and this is why I brought up Tim's article to look at how things have changed um, when it comes to covering baseball, when it comes to covering the Red Sox, because it has changed. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in it, and it's not just to do with the players, right? Yeah, I mean, when I think of this decade, and what I mean, Twitter is really was kind of became a big thing at the beginning of this decade. I mean, 2009 really was when most people started getting on Twitter. But it wasn't it, – then it got really – like 2010, like everybody had Twitter. And if you didn't have it by then, and, and, you weren't And, and you remember, weren't a lot of people, <clears throat> John Tomasi, uh, wouldn't – didn't say, I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to do that. And then you get behind – it is amazing when you look at followers, like people trying to scramble to get followers now. If you did not – if you got a slow start on Twitter from 2008 to 2010 – yeah, you had a lot of catching. It was hard yeah, to catch up. Yeah, I'll give my I'll give my friend Evan Drellick some credit. I know begrudging. He's he's gained a lot of traction on Twitter. It's hard to gain a lot of Twitter followers these days, but he, he's gained a lot in the last couple of years. Oh well, that's gonna, that's, we can edit that part yeah, out. But. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you, the Grinch? Uh, but it's but it's a good point about Twitter, and what we're gonna we're also gonna get to in a second. Speaking of Tomasi, he wrote a uh, best interview team uh, or best interviews. Oh, best of the decade. Red yeah. Sox all interview team on NBC Sports Boston. You have your list. I have yeah. my list, and I think that's a pretty it's a pretty good idea. Um, I have some some very uh, strict disagreements with John in his article. You don't think JD Drew is the best interview I did, of the decade? Made, <laughs> I think that he's onto something that others I feel more strongly about. Yeah. But before we get to that, before we get to our rating, our our best interviews and. And, and we can throw in maybe like least favorite interviews if you like as well, as long yeah. as they're no longer in the area and probably don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> but it's um, but just covering the team, you're right about Twitter. I mean, it's so you look at, and I guess the best way to look back at this is look at who was on that team. This helps help being me jog my memory. So you had Victor Martinez. You had um, yeah, it was the Adrian Beltre year. Yeah. Right. So he was the best thing about that team. He was. I mean, Adrian Beltre was great to deal with, um, great to watch. You know, I, I just, you know, I really, really like it was. I remember talking to the All Star break, and oh, he was he was an All Star then. Victor Martinez was pretty good. I all said to talk about that team, about leadership. We talked a lot about leadership. You know, I've always said this, is that if Adrian Beltre and Victor Martinez are around 2011, 2011 doesn't happen. Right. No, exactly. They, uh, that was – Theo would admit he made some, some missteps that, that winter, and that, that was definitely one of them, uh, bringing in Adrian Gonzalez and letting Beltre go. Uh, that was that kind of set things down a bad path there for, for a couple of years. But you, So you look at that team and covering that team, and I think that you and I will agree that 
it's the Red Sox covering the Red Sox is completely different now than it is back then. And and when I say back then, that was probably born even before 2010. That was, you, I mean, you lived through the 2004 teams yeah. and more than I did, but. The 2007, 2008, 2009, you still had a lot of those same guys around 2010 rolled around. You look at, you know, Euclid was still there, Pedroia, obviously, um, J.D. Drew, David Ortiz, Mike Lowell was playing in 2010. He was, uh, yeah. Remember? Remember? Why you tell year. that story? His, oh, his retirement when you yeah. broke his, uh, yeah. his retirement story. When, where were we? We were in, in Kansas, Kansas City. City. Yeah. And uh, Lowell told. Uh, I'll tell the story because yeah. I lived it. Yeah. And so I was sitting at my kitchen table and I got a text from Mike Lowell. When, so when, when was that? It was early in the year, right? Yeah, it was the first road trip of the year. First yeah. road trip of the year. See, that's why you got unbelievable <laughs> memory. First road trip of the year. I didn't make the trip. And uh, I get a, I'm sitting at my kitchen. I remember distinctly. I was sitting at my kitchen table. I get a text from Mike Lowell saying, "Just want to give you the heads up that I told everyone." That I'm yeah, I was like, I think it was me, uh, Emily Benjamin, like Mike Silverman. There was like there was like five of us there. You know, it wasn't a huge. Can we power it, rank who was the most pissed? <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be me. Okay. But no, he's so he so Lowell says, uh, yeah, like you say, he said, I just want to. You know, I'm thinking this is probably gonna be my last year, which was pretty big news at the time. And I'm like, oh, this is big stuff. I'm, like, racing up to get the story online. <laughs> then I get up there. I go on, like, WEI.com. And it's like, lol, you know, I'm going <laughs> to retire. And I was like, come on. Yeah, so he, so he texted me. He said, I just want to let you know that I just told all the reporters <laughs> that, that, I, um, that I'm basically going to retire. And so I reported. But that's a great example. I'm glad we brought that up, not only because it made me look really like a lot of street cred, <laughs> but because think about that, Ian. Like, think about if he does that now. Like everyone is immediately tweeting it. Yeah, yeah. like that—that's insane. That that whoever the three or four or yeah, whoever it was, was yeah. what well, that was in why and I, I my guess is that because everyone was of the mindset I got to write it before I tweet it. Right. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but you know, it was also a Saturday, so the news is always there's all always a little less urgency to like get stuff up right away on on a weekend because you figure not as many people or you know. Look at looking at Twitter and all the stuff. So I can't remember exactly how, but yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. I think we were just trying to get it out there as quick as we can. And you figure if you if you tweet it, then you're sort of giving it away. Back then, that, the mentality was like you're the, sort of giving it, it away. And that's another and and sort of where I'm glad we're going through this process because it's reminding me of a lot of things that I I totally forgot. But I was a big hey, these people are giving away stuff on Twitter. When yeah. if you report it on Twitter, you're giving away. You're not valuing your company. You should at least go up, write two or three paragraphs, attach it to the tweet. Yeah. Because there were a lot of people, there were not a lot of people, but some people were just tweeting and like, you're more self, you're selfish. You're more worried about you getting street cred instead of getting what your organization is paying for you. And I, I lived through that. I mean, I took that approach for a long, long time. And then I got burned a couple times. Right. Because it's happening so fast. Though. Yeah. Because I remember, um, uh, distinctly, the Pedroia Pedroia was going to sign an extension. There, there was that, and in the I'm like I remember standing in the field, finding out about it, taking the time to go up to the press box to sit down, write three paragraphs, and in that time, somebody somebody else tweeted tweeted, it. and and you they get the credit, and that happened. And I remember the first time that I'm like I'm you know I can't do this anymore. I think it was um, 
I think it was Napoli. I think it was like I found out about Napoli. Napoli was going to re-sign with the Red Sox. Right. When yeah. though that must have been after 2013. Yeah, right? I think you. Were, it was. I think it happened while you were at the uh, Ortiz golf tournament, maybe. I don't know, but yeah. it was. It was. I remember thinking, okay, I have to. And if I didn't, as it turns out, if I didn't, I remember distinctly. Ken Rosenthal had it like a minute later, like like or less than a minute later. Yeah. So if I wrote anything, and it's a, it's a little thing, and I and I think that this is another thing we can talk about about the importance of breaking stories, but. You aren't getting credit for it, and so now it's not even a second thought. I'm like, you, if you gotta, get something, you got to tweet it, right? Yeah, and it's crazy because then the uh, information is just being confirmed by so many other people so quickly that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to remember like who who's breaking what now. Well, that's and that's a whole another thing how things have changed. I mean, we used to, you know, it's still important to break stories and everything, but you know, it's it's you, not what it used to. It's be. It's not yeah. what it used to be, right? I mean, it's it's just not. I mean, I think that it's it's pissing on your own territory more than anything, and it's street cred. And, and maybe if you're if for people who are going for a job, they can say, okay, look at I broke all those stories. But even you tell me, I mean, are are employers potential employers? Are they looking at are they looking at hey, how many stories you broke, or are they looking at engagement on social media or engagement yeah. with your stories? Yeah, definitely engagement. You know, I mean, there's like a select few story breakers out there who you have those guys because they break. You know, I'm talking about Ken Rosenthal, John Hamer. Feinstein's had uh, a great Fein, off Mark Feinstein, my coworker. It's good to be working with him now. Um, and uh, you know, guys like guys like that, Jeff Passan now with ESPN, guys like that. Um, there's four or five of them, but other than that. You know, it's you just can't worry about being the one to break the story. You gotta, like you said, you have to engage with people. You gotta bring other things to the table. It's a nice feeling to break a story, and you get a lot of pats on the back from, like, people in the industry. Yeah, and and maybe somebody at the you know the radio station or something like said, "Oh, good job with that." Yeah. But it comes and it goes much quicker. Right. Than I mean, it you used remember to. you remember just from you at the Herald, like the Globe Herald dynamic. Oh my God! Where it used to be like even like. When they, these newspapers weren't using their websites that much, you broke a big story in the paper for, say, the Herald. The guy in the Globe, he's got to live with that for until oh. the next day. You know, he's got to then he's got to try to come well, up with something. Yeah, that'll just, they ignore it for three it's days. Just like, so yeah, people don't know like how. Oh, uh, uh, that was, but that was another thing. So I came to EI in two thousand eight from the Herald, but you know that, and I think, it, but it was it was same dynamic when the decade rolled around, when two thousand ten rolled around, the Globe Herald dynamic, how. It was, you know, another part about it, Ian, was when you looked at how you, when are you going to release a story? If you have a story, I remember specifically, and this is outside the decade, but it would hold true through 2010, 11. And if you had a story at 8 o'clock, that was a tough call. Like, now it's like you're tweeting it, right? You got to wait till after midnight. Well, so it's, yes, exactly. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was another thing. We, 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 Ian and I, we would, uh, we would say if we're going to hold a story, if we both had a story that we wanted to say, we would call it, we would call it basically Clapton, yeah. Clapton, and uh, because it was after midnight. And, th- and I was just reminded, we just reminded of that, like, this year, like which I had totally forgot about it. Like, yeah, we've got a Clapton that. <laughs> I mean, the Clapton has, like, gone, I mean, midnight, it could be 3 o'clock in the morning right, yeah. or, or 8 o'clock at night. Because I mean, you have people who are sitting around now, and this didn't, didn't exist a decade ago, who are sitting around aggregating, like, as soon as, 
stories out there, they're, they're aggregating it the second it comes out. Like, they're just, like, that's literally their job is to see, like, to have a news feed. So every time something comes out, it's immediately getting aggregated. Well, you remember, I, I remember another one where um, the Manny pushing Jack McCormick. Mm-hmm. There was in, in Sean. So that was in Houston, obviously. And Sean McAdam held it till everyone was on the plane. Right. Yeah, right. It was smart by it him. Was, it was smart. But it was like he held it to everyone on the plane. But now it would be like. Yeah, he could have never done that. No, no. Yeah, because we were in Tampa by the time that really, the next day by the time that story really came out. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. So it that dynamic, when we talk about covering the team, it really, in the decade, I think that's the biggest one. If we're talking to them. Because the players, we can talk about the clubhouse and the players' personality and everything, but actually covering a team has changed so much in that respect, more than actually even before we started this conversation, I remembered. But it is crazy to think about some of the things that we're talking about, how it was. Right. And here's another one where I remember in going saying, hey, we got to go on West Coast trips because what would always happen that that people would want to be made, the papers would always want to make deadline. And so as being on the internet, you would be able to stay down in the clubhouse till the end and get stuff and nobody else would be there. My first five, six years on the beat, um, you know, a lot of the times I was the only one in the clubhouse after the West Coast game. I mean, these guys would go and literally they would go in and get Francona quotes and then they would race. They would call. They would call the Francona quotes into the paper. And then they would go upstairs and all right, can't can't do anything else today. And this, yeah, and they wouldn't come back down. Yeah. And this isn't, I and mean, we're not being like old fogies here. We're talking about within the last 10 years, this yeah. being a dynamic. But so when you go through 2010 in terms of covering the Red Sox, it's that team was still, there was a lot of guys who were still of that sort of, you, you would, you're with me with 2007, 2008, yeah. great team to cover. Yeah, I mean, a lot I think of personalities. Like, uh, 03 and 04, those are the, those, I, I lumped that almost as one year because it was the same core guy. That was the best team I ever covered. I mean, those guys, like, everybody, almost everybody on that team was a great quote. But, yeah, 07, 08, that, that, that team was right there too. Yeah, and, and then so now you're still, you still have guys leaking into 2010. And then 2011 was a good team to cover. I mean, it yeah. really was. Oh, I, yeah. It was because it's, you had lunatics, right? I mean. Historic, man. Yeah, you, number one, you were good. And anybody who doesn't understand this, when a team wins, it is easier to cover the team. Oh, yeah. It just is. Go look at, compare 2018 to 2019. Like, right. Completely oh, nine, different. Nine day, yeah. So, I or mean. 2012 to 2013. Yeah. Oh, but that was a lot of different personalities, yeah, true, too. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you go to 2011, it was, it got, it got weird at the end. Like, because you were losing so much. And I remember thinking, going through that year, going through that September, the thing I always remember is how many different ways can we explain a team losing? It just, like, oh, every it day, it was like it was the same thing. Yeah, like, people forget Josh Becker was having a great year in 2011. He was until, he he stu- until he did that stupid interview with you in uh, Texas, Texas or wherever the hell we were. I was and then- jumping on. Did you see my story about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's true. I know. Like, man. his Hall of Fame candidacy ended with that interview. Yeah, that poor guy jakes his entire career <laughs> with, that, with that one interview. But, uh, yeah, that was – I had never seen it. Just, it was like uh, you say, like, winning is contagious, like – Bad performances on that t- September team. Like, all of a sudden, John Lester couldn't pitch anymore. Beckett couldn't pitch anymore. You know, all these guys just kind of fell apart. And, 
you know, and then you have guys like the pitching coach, Kurt Young, or the strength coach, and Dave Page, and they're throwing their, their hands in the air. Right. Like, you know, and there's obviously there was a lot going on there. Um, but it was, it was, it was crazy. And, and then you also get, you know, you're getting you know, the whispers. Uh, I remember the, I remember a couple bullpen guys were like, you know, no one, you know, our numbers suck because the bull, the starters aren't, right, you start yeah. getting that dynamic and then you get the Baltimore and it becomes, you know, it just becomes, and that was the first, the first time I, you know, the first time that, uh, and people I know that, and this goes, I guess, maybe part of the conversation about how the Red Sox media is perceived because, you know, the Red Sox media took a hit after 2011. It was stupid, but whatever. It was Because it, we didn't know that the yeah, chicken and beer thing right, was going exactly. on. Because they weren't eating chicken and yeah, drinking beer in front of us. Yeah, because they weren't eating chicken in front of us. Yeah. But that was, it was the the day leading into the last game in Baltimore was like the first time where I had people like, they players were bizarrely saying stuff like that. You were like, "Why are you what?" Yeah, I remember talking to you like batting practice. I think it was before the last game, and, uh, and this was a huge game. I mean, they this is like they they win this game, they're in the playoffs, and some of the things you were telling me um, from players, coaches, whatever, I was like, "Whoa, that's that's not good." That it was, was a, but a red you would flag. agree it was yeah. out of nowhere. That was I a mean, red flag. Yeah, it was out of nowhere. I mean, I remember. You know whether it was you know Francona's contract was up and yeah. and and um, but so, you know some of the the dysfunction that was going on and it led to that point because because we're looking at it I think through the prism of hey it's a big game aren't you getting ready for this yeah, big game yeah. and then you know Bruce Chen might be traded for <laughs> yeah. for that one game yeah <laughs> yeah it's almost like they're 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 thinking okay if we lose you know. Who's going to be taking the blame here? So they're almost trying to figure out how to distribute the blame Already. ahead of time. So hey, if 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 this goes south, this wasn't my fault. This was on this person, or this well, was because these guys were drinking in the club in the clubhouse during games or whatever. And or, then and then after, there hasn't been that much ass covering in the history of ass <laughs> oh. covering. It was unbelievable. Oh, it was crazy. It was every you go through. Players were players were basically one at a time doing some sort of media to sort of explain right. their side of things. Yeah, for people to, who criticize the media that, oh, you know, these guys were doing all this and you guys didn't report it, the reason it got out in the first place is because guys were trying to cover themselves, and that, that's why people are leaking it to the media, Right. whoever was, was leaking well, yes. it. Well, yes. Yeah, because they, they didn't want to take the blame. Exactly. That's yeah. How, yeah, that's how it got out. And, and you know, listen, it was, it was a, for a lot of people, it was a lot, people were pissed off, number one, and then the, this stupid dynamic of, of, Oh, the national media gets all the stories and the local media, which is stupid. And and they also don't understand the dynamic. And I would say this is that if you want to go down that road about that the local reporters don't get stuff and the national reporters get everything, this isn't the sport to do it. Right. Like there is first of all, there's a reason that happens. In case people don't know, for a lot of executives, it's one stop shopping. That's how it works. Right. It's nothing, you know, there's a lot of hard working Always has been a lot of hardworking, good re- local reporters. But for and one thing that you can't control is for a lot of executives, it is one-stop shopping. It's not like these guys who are breaking all the stories are constantly calling these people. Yeah. These people are getting phone calls. Right. That's how it works. Yeah, and for the national, uh, if you want to get something out there, you know, the Red Sox is such a huge team that that's what that's they're going to want to get it to the national media. And it's not unique to baseball. No, football. I mean, Adam Schefter, right. Bob McKenzie, 
Adrian Wojnarowski. I always say his name, Woj. Woj, yeah. Right? Woj bomb. There you go. I mean, and there's, and there's outliers and there's people getting scoops. But at that time, after 2011, you know, it sucked because a lot of people were painting the Red Sox beat in that way. And it was like yeah. everyone was defensive and it was just, it was stupid. It was dumb. But you had, uh, but then you had, like you said, like we had, we had these press conferences. Everyone's being put in the crosshairs. Everyone was covering their ass. And then they hired Bobby Valentine. I know, what a crazy start to the decade, man. I know. Yeah. It was, and then I was talking to, uh, I was over in Essen today, and we were talking about how this whole dynamic. I said, the thing about, the, and Bobby Valentine, we'll get to in a second, that the 2012, because of, uh, we're never, ever going to see another year like that. Ever that that was nuts, yeah. of this just it's nuts. And a perfect example of that when Pedroia got in front of his locker and said, "This isn't how we do. Maybe this is how we do things in Japan." Right. That was two weeks into the season. Oh. You had two weeks in the season, and you had players plural basically throwing the manager. Oh, that, that season was over before it even started. Oh, so. it was it was. And uh, you had, obviously, looking back, then you had the Mike Avilas thing come out about the Ortiz and Pedroia going into Bobby Valentine saying, what are you doing getting all over this guy? And I remember Mike Avilas, who was a super nice guy. I really enjoyed covering. Yeah, but he flat out lied to me. Because when that came out, I called him and he said, "Did this happen?" Like, no. And then he said, "I'm sorry, I lied." Oh, yeah. So I mean, but, well, it's just, you know, whatever. I mean, good I for him. Happen. He was he was trying to keep it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's during the season. It's it's hard. So, but it, you have that that year, and when we talk about covering a team, it it was insane. I mean, and for this radio station, it was awesome. Oh yeah, it was from talk radio dream. Oh, to the to the very last day of the season, <laughs> when, he's, when he's saying that he wasn't talking to any of his coaches. Yeah, and, when uh, he said, "Do you feel like you were undermined by your coaches?" Yeah, and he, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was crazy. I mean, he wasn't didn't talk to his bench coach for three or four months. That that was uh, it, it, like I said. You agree? We'll never see anything like uh, that. I feel bad for Ben Sherrington just looking back at that whole thing. Oh. I mean, he never wanted to hire Bobby Valentine. No. He was just completely forced into that. Have you ever seen a clubhouse, too, where you had guys in the corner of the clubhouse, like players, where they're basically, like, just sniping at, like, the manager? And and I remember you know this story about when I was in Tampa and I was in the dugout uh, with Pedroia and Ortiz, and it was, like, really late. I mean, it was probably, like, a half hour before the game, but nobody cared. It's Tampa. And so Bobby's walking off the field. And we weren't talking about Valentine. We were t- I don't know what we were talking about. But Valentine was so paranoid about everything. He basically, like, I, we look over, and he's his, he's peering up over the <laughs> ledge, just seeing his eyes, and then he ducks down. But he was so paranoid about everything. It was nuts. Oh, Tampa, that was where he had his shouting match with Sean McAdam. Oh, McCallum. my goodness. <laughs> Again, if we're going to rate... If we're going to rate blow-ups for the, the decade, that that's number great. one, right? I think Sean was yelling louder than uh, Bobby was. It was so. so – so in case people – you probably wouldn't understand. When you walk into the the Tropicana Field clubhouse, the manager's office is the right there to the left. Well, you walk it down – you're walking down the hallway, but it's right there. You walk about, I don't know, 30, 40 feet, yeah. and then it turns into the clubhouse. But – you have the manager's office in a back rack before the clubhouse, and 
the door was open, right? Yeah. And Bobby Valentine and Sean McAdam were screaming <laughs> at each other. And you had everyone in that hallway, it, like, just lined up. Like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. And you're like nagging and yeah. like just like rolling his eyes. By far one of the most entertaining moments of, of that season. Oh, it was. And then the, the the great thing about it was that at, when Sean walked out, like Bobby Valentine let out like a Ric Flair. Like, woo! <laughs> like, it was so bizarre. Yeah, so that that year was... I mean, it was – we'll never see – I'll say it again. We'll never see anything like it. And then you turn it over to – because then you had the um, – and, you know, we forget. You had the big trade where you Beckett and yeah. Adrian Gonzalez and and everything else. I mean, there was so much about that season. Yeah, you'll never see another trade like – I mean, now you can't literally. There's no more August trades. But right. For all those guys, Crawford, Beckett, uh, Adrian Gonzalez – to, to get through waivers and to be, that, that's just crazy. When well, you you had, and, and also before that, you had the pitching coach fired. Remember, right? Yeah, at the All Star break. At the All Star break, um, you obviously had that the story about the um, uh, the meeting. You know, the meeting about the players and the coaches. You had the um, thing about the um, texting John Henry, which, by the way, like this is Bobby Valentine. He remember Baltimore. He calls in, I think it was Roger Rubin. Uh, He calls it because he knows him from New York. And Roger was around, and he calls him in. And then then the next thing you know, it was like there was a story that came out about, I think he said Shopek was the one. Shopek texted from Adrian Gonzalez's phone. Yeah, Shopek texted from Adrian (laughs) Gonzalez's phone. Now, which was convenient because Shopek had been released at that point. Right. right? So... So for Bo- in Bobby Valentine's mind, it was like this is going to be easy. I'll just say that he did it, and he grabbed Adrian Gonzalez's phone. <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah, that, that whole story was, was unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, you get through that, and then 2013 was one probably one of the best teams to cover, right? Oh yeah. So so many memorable moments from from that season. That was that was a great year. Uh, great guys to cover, and uh, John Farrell. People forget John Farrell was just what the Red Sox needed. At yeah, that time. he was yeah. absolutely, and and you know, and, and I think that I think Farrell got obviously as time went along much more protective and 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 for lack of a better term, less entertaining. Like he yeah. was very, very, very became very, very careful yeah. about everything he said. But you remember when he was a pitching coach, like he was great, he yeah. was great to talk to. I think the problem was that you know once Farrell didn't feel like. People had his back, didn't feel like his bosses had his back. Then and he sort of turned, and he was just, like, doing whatever he could to protect himself at that point. But, you know, you talk about that team because you've got guys in, Napoli and Gomes and Victorino. Yeah. And, and then there was the gift from, from high above, who was there the year before as well, who made that season spicy, which was Alfredo Aceves. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, I, I was a little bit of a, afraid of him. I'm I like, mean uh, – we should do top ten players you've been afraid of. Would Rudy Sienna's be there too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sienna's. Um, who was the other guy? Vicente Padilla. He was. He was a scary looking guy. <laughs> he was. Yeah, but nothing like a Seves. No, no. And the stories that keep coming out about a Seves, like after the fact. Yeah. Like a was like nuts. He was borderline crazy. He was crazy. And remember, like that was Farrell's. He was throwing like fifty miles an hour. And, ba- and, and, and batting uh, live batting practice and spring training. And Farrell confronted him. Yeah, that was. 
That was another uh, moment I forgot about until now. But it was it, it was just a really really good team to cover. I mean, from I mean, number one, they were winning, so that helped. They were winning when no one expected them to win, and and they were and they were good guys. I mean, David Ross was another one on that team. Dempster, Ryan Dempster, yeah, yeah, Dempster. I mean, it was you. If you want the case for paying guys to have a good clubhouse atmosphere who are going to con- con- contribute in subtle ways, and that's the best way to build a team, that's the team to do it. Yeah, and the crazy thing about that team is you felt it, like, as soon as I walked into the clubhouse that spring training, I'm like, this is different. Like, it literally took, like, 10 seconds to feel the difference from from the year before. It's just, like, everybody seemed happy. Everybody was in a good mood. It was like people actually wanted to talk to us, you know, which was a big change from the year before. Yeah, and then the funny thing is then you go to the next year, and – just a couple key things made the, the whole dynamic different. And this is sort of the lesson, I think, that maybe from 2018 to 2019 about how thinking the things are just going to roll over, but this human nature, where you had John Lester's contract uncertainty, which, which was an issue from day one, yeah. especially when the, it circulated throughout the clubhouse that they had offered him four years, $70 million. Yeah, that didn't go over well. No. And, and then you have... You know, you didn't replace – you replaced – you know, you basically didn't replace um, Jacoby Ellsbury. Grady Sizemore was your opening day center yeah, that, fielder, it right? worked. It worked for one day. It worked – what? It's opening St. Day, Patrick's day? It, opening day hit a uh, home run. He also had a great game with St. Patrick's <laughs> he Day. He did, yeah. Um, and then Pruszynski. I mean, Pruszynski was the oh, acquisition yeah. where, like, at the time you're like, what are you doing? And this is where I think – and where this – they they did the whole thing – we have a strong clubhouse. We'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. I mean, I remember Ben saying, "Well, he they went everywhere from he is gonna he's gonna take more pitches, even though he hasn't in his twenty yeah. year career, because he's gonna be around us more." And then it became, "Well, no, it's good to have someone like that in the lineup who swings at more pitches." Yeah, you know, I think personally with both Bobby Valentine and AJ Przinsky. I think there's so much ill will against those guys before things even started that they already decided, okay, this isn't going to work. So I, I put some of the blame. I don't put all the blame on Valentine. You mean some of the teammates. Yeah, I don't put all the blame on Valentine or Przinsky because I think in both cases people are like, this isn't going to work, and they're sort of rolling their eyes I would, at these I guys would agree with that. before I mean, it even started. I would agree that with that. I mean, there was it's a good analogy, actually, because you know as well as I do, it wasn't hard to go in that clubhouse and find multiple people <laughs> yeah, was... to rip on either one of those guys. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, I'm sure Brzezinski will hate me till the day I die, but it wasn't me. It was, it was like <laughs> this was coaches, this was players, yeah. this was, you know, everybody who, you know, I remember the day that he, I mean, that's another thing. He was released in early July, I think. Yeah, right. Or, yeah, right around. Yeah, early I mean, July. it was the day that he. They, I think they had some sort of big comeback win. They and did. Yeah. It wasn't hard to find people who were saying, "Hey, you know what? There was a reason yeah, for if that." If he was here, we would have never won. Yeah, this game I mean, they there. were literally saying that, yeah. and that is, you're right. I mean, that's probably unfair. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, but that, and then you know, as that year goes along, you're underperforming. Then the Lester stuff happens. Then Lackey gets pissed off, and now that starts to spiral for the next couple of years. Really? Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of in, in covering the team, it was – that's another example that if – when you lose, it's more difficult. Oh, my God. Cr- and things now – I'll give uh, Alex Cora credit because things never unraveled this year like they did 
you know, even though they performed way below expectations this year after winning a championship the year before, I mean, that 13 to 14 drop off, I mean, that was just crazy. The wheels fell, not only didn't they play well, but the wheels like completely fell off the bus there. Well, you also had, you know, different personalities. And, the, and this goes back to sort of how we perceive and cover the team, which is last year felt a lot like 2017, even though they, they made the playoffs in 2017. Yeah. But guys were, when you aren't winning, I guess 2007, not 2017. I don't know. But when guys aren't winning, they're protective. Of themselves, right. yeah. They like they don't want to stand there, and and we know we go through the list. If you want to talk about the all um, make yourself available in the clubhouse team for the decade, <laughs> you know, this go through the list. I mean, it starts. You know, Cody Ross was a guy who had to sit there in 2012, and he wouldn't play, and yeah, everyone was, would go up to him. He was like a, a rare, friendly face in well, that clubhouse. Yeah, and and Baldelli was that way before. Yeah. Um, Kevin Cash was that way before. Gomes was that way. There's always that guy. And honestly, for this, for last year, for 2019, it was probably Bogarts. And I, I get the sense that, yeah. you know, that's tough. You it know. started to wear on him. Yeah. Yeah. Toward the yeah. end. But he, I mean, he was trying to be that guy. And I remember doing a podcast with him saying, hey, you know, don't discount the, how much it's appreciated right. that you sat there last night for seven minutes, answered multiple qu- the questions multiple times. But for a guy like that, they, that's not supposed to be that guy. Yeah, no, I mean, if Mookie Betts, if he if he does end up staying with the Red Sox long term, which I don't think is going to happen, he's going to have to figure this out. He's going to have to figure out. Look, I'm the best player on this team. You know, I have to I have to make myself available, not just in the good times, but in the bad times too, and just make it clear to these guys that. And that's why I love covering a guy like Johnny Damon. After every loss, this guy is sitting there saying, "You know, you know, you guys need me. Just make it easy. You yeah. know, the, the easier you make it for them, the easier, you know, subconsciously we're probably going to make it for them." But, yeah, uh, it's 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 not that hard, but it's it's also when you do talk to them. And I know guys don't like talking about themselves a whole lot, but when you do talk to them, just don't you just don't try not to try. You know, right? Like, that that that's. And you can see that a lot with this uh, this day and age, but you can see that a lot more than you used to be able to. I think, anyway. Oh yeah. Instead of just being, hey, you know what, guys, hey, I don't you know, just, and and maybe in you know a lot of that I think is because of social. You're, you're burned by social media. You're, there's more video. There's more all of it. There's more ways to spin things than there were even ten years ago. Yeah. Um. So you had that 2000. You know, then 2015 rolls around. You know <laughs> the Han- Hanley and Pablo Sandoval. Hanley here. and Pablo Sandoval, which is you know, po- <laughs> we kept going to that well. Oh, and they didn't replace John Lester. No, the the five aces. <laughs> the five aces. Five. You had Buck. Can you name the five aces? See, we had uh, Porcello, Buckles, Miley, uh, Masterson. And then who was the? Oh man, you don't remember Bradford Show Hall of Famer. I'm not even giving you the Bradford Show Hall of Fame, and you don't know it. Cy predicted the Cy Young. Oh, Joe Kelly. Joe yeah, Kelly. I just think of him as a reliever. I know <laughs> that's why it's a trick question. It's a, yeah, he's the. Hey, they were they were almost right on Porcello. It was just the next year he was going to be the ace. But think yeah. about that, where now you're slowly taking away these guys who we probably undervalued from the media perspective. I know that I didn't, but other people may have. Joe Kelly. Okay, Joe, he was great, man. He he, a great personality. Like you can yeah. like. There's listen, 
whatever. You can say whatever you want about me interviewing him like a million times. There was a reason for it because he actually had a personality. Like when a guy says, I want you to put Jägermeister in a headline, <laughs> like that's a good personality. Oh, man. When he said he was going to win the Cy Young, that was oh. one of the most unbelievable things I've but, ever heard But, you know, the thing radio. is, is like he, a lot of people, he would go, he would back away from it. He's like, whatever. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But, you know, and we know how good Porcello was, and, and Porcello only got better and better and better as he, and more important to that clubhouse as he, as he was there. But, you know, that was important, especially when you have Pedroia getting hurt. So he, he wasn't around. I'm jumping forward yeah. a little bit. But, um, and, you know, we should note that throughout this whole thing, up until all the way up until 2016, was the constant of David Ortiz. Right. He was better than anybody ever. And, and we could always default. We could always default to David Ortiz. And you talk about a guy who had to basically answer questions after every game. That that's that was that guy. Right. And he was like always, like almost always, he was awesome. There was a there would be a few times during the season he'd be like burnt out. He wouldn't. He'd be like the whole okay. You guys get three questions. You know he just wasn't going to to try hard those nights. But almost any day you could get him and he would just be great. Yeah. And. It's it's funny. For, there was times where you thought Hanley Ramirez like might be entertaining, yeah. and then you're like, eh, yeah, sort of weird. Um, not a bad guy. I always get along with. No, him. I like Hanley. Yeah, but it's it's funny. You mentioned Ortiz. I was just over at Neston. I think this is the second time I mentioned this. But the uh, Carolyn Mano was over there, and I hadn't seen Carolyn forever. She right. she had the great things at NBC Sports, and um, I said first thing I said to her. Remember, were you there when, when Ortiz thought she was Wendy Nix? Oh, right. Yeah. I said, first thing I remembered. Like, that, her, it was her, her first day, and Ortiz goes, where you been, girl? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, Ortiz is it was obviously, and even, like, I'm looking at this team, so in 2016, you know, even Travis Shaw, Travis Shaw was a guy who was coming into his own, and getting a little more comfortable. He was a pretty good interview, yeah. He was a good interview, and then when Mankata took his spot, he became a really good interview. Yeah, yeah, he was not happy. I mean, he was not happy about that. And, um, yeah, so it's that team, you know, then the Dabrowski era starts, and um, the teams are getting a little bit better. You have, you know, Price is, you know, he's been the roller coaster the entire time here. Yeah. But – I'll say this, is that we were talking among ourselves about, okay, this power rank, the best quotes in the clubhouse um, this year or last year. And, you know, Price Price makes himself available. Well, sometimes you honestly just don't want to talk to him. Yeah, but when he he, he can be very good. He's a good quote. He's a good quote. And, um, you know, sales, a good quote, but he's not around a whole lot. And um, because he just wants to get in it. But when you get him, he's pretty good. Yeah. J.D. Martinez is a pretty good quote. But all these guys, when we talk about this decade, because we got to get to our list of best interviews, um, when we talk about this decade, the guys that we're talking about being good quotes would be like 10th on the list back. Yeah, back in like 2004. Yeah. Well, even like in the beginning of the decade, yeah. I think, right? Right, yeah. I mean, certainly in the 2013 team. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of that is just younger players where – Initially, with 2015, 2016, they were young players, and then and you so you sort of understand them being a little sheepish about everything. But now I get the sense that they become they're evolving into young players into the new age of players, which is just much more protective of themselves. 
Would that yeah, be accurate? Yeah, it's true. Everyone's uh, everyone's got a brand. Everyone's got an image, and they're 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 trying to protect it now. That's why the the social media for the players has really changed too, because they can kind of they can get their message out themselves. He, they right. basically are doing what Kurt Schilling did with thirty eight pitches. Yeah, he was Kurt Schilling was. I'll give him credit. He was ahead of his time on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, well, he was. He was, you know, Kurt Schilling. was Kurt Schilling. He did the. He was blogging because he said, "I, I want to get my message out the way that I want to get it out." And then you had, um, uh, then the Players Tribune, which I feel like is sort of like isn't the you don't isn't hear a as thing much as much. As it, I mean, Porcello announced when he signed the extension with the Red Sox. He saw, he announced it there. Yeah, we were sitting in the press box after opening day, and uh, Tim Britton wanted to go out and watch Duke. Duke was playing in the national championship game that night, and all of a sudden we get this Porcello. Uh, Rick Porcello just announced that he's uh, signed a contract extension with the Red Sox. I told Porcello, I said, I remember the day before it was in it was in Fort Myers, maybe two days before. Yeah. I asked him about that, and he he was really sheepish, like you could tell he was very, <laughs> and I was like, oh, now I know why. But it's um. It was, yeah, and so you have that, but I feel like now you went from Schilling to the Players' Tribune, and now it's sort of like their own thing on Instagram, like Instagram. Yeah, yeah Instagram's began. I mean, that's how what that's how Gronk announced his retirement, right? On I Instagram. guess. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, all right. So we had mentioned at the beginning John Tomasi did his list of best of the decade, Red Sox all-interview team. Um, you want me to count down from 10 to 1? Yeah. All right. Ten, Euclid. I'll see if you agree. Yeah, I like Euclid. I, I don't think of him much from that decade just because it was only it was a couple injury-plagued years there at the beginning of the decade. You think of him more uh, the decade before that. I think he was pretty honest. He was, yeah. Euclid yeah, Euc- was good. I, I like Euclid. Yeah. I mean, that he's probably a good example of how things have changed. Like, if he was playing right now, it might be different, you know, a player like that. But he was honest. Because there wasn't these sort of outlets and, and there wasn't these avenues, maybe as many avenues to be burnt. Uh, number nine, Burke Badenhop. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that one. I mean, I, I sort of remember. But yeah, he, was do, there, he was there for about a day. If we're going to do that, though, there's a lot of guys. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of relief. Like, you have to almost do a separate category for relief pitchers. It's like the offensive lineman of uh, baseball. I, I, you know, like, if you're going to go Burke Badenhop, I could go Alfredo Aceves because he yeah. was crazy. And he said some like oh, he was, yeah. were you in Kansas City when he like oh yeah that was what, what was it what was his like he was uh, he was he's talking about his brother and I I'm not going to do it yeah, justice totally. but it was like we came away from it like what just happened <laughs> uh, number eight Jackie Bradley Jr. This is a very controversial I like Jackie a lot um, he's one of the nicer guys I've ever covered as far as what you're going to get doesn't always give you the sort of detailed quotes you're looking for especially like when he when he's going bad when he's in a slump. He just does not want to get specific at all. No, and, and honestly, like sometimes when he's going good, he's very short too because he doesn't. Yeah, like he's like, do you feel like that's his thing? Because he's done this all the time. How have you figured it out? He yeah. gets that question a lot. Have you yeah, figured I mean, it I'll, out? I'll give him points for he's a he's a good guy. He's, he's a good the, guy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he was the guy. You know, when when Nick Cafardo passed away, he was the guy that reached out. Yeah, saying, are you guys all right? Yeah, the and other people that, uh, did as Zander, well. Zando Bogarts, you know, he came up to me and uh, yeah, kind of put his arm around me and was like, are you doing all Yeah, I, really I mean, listen, it. I mean, the, the thing is, is like, w- w- this, this not going to get it confused. I think that the clubhouse, the Red Sox clubhouse, has been full of good human beings. Yeah. Because we, there's, there's other, the, throughout your time covering the team, there's been 
guys who probably you wouldn't classify that way. Yeah, there's there's a, a few. Yeah. But but I think the, these are good guys. Yeah. Um, but we're talking right now about quotes. Um, seven Clay Buckholds. Yeah, he's underrated as far as you know. The I don't think that the general public realize how good he was with us because they were always so frustrated with oh he's hurt again this and that. But he was very honest and he uh, yeah he would he would say what you needed him to say. Here's I, the thing with Buckholds. This is what you need to know. You could ask him anything, yeah, and he would answer it. Like there was like he reminded me of Kenny Anderson with the Celtics. You could ask him. So I asked him about his wife's uh, his phone being hacked. And his wife, <laughs> uh, like nude pictures, getting on the internet. Yeah. How did this happen? And he's just like he answered it like, oh well, there's a thing in the Netherlands and blah blah blah. And we're, <laughs> you know, so, oh yeah, the thing in the yeah, Netherlands. but it was right. like or the or the bullfrog suntan. So like he, you could ask him yeah, anything he was, he was and he would great, answer yeah. it. He was, he was and he wouldn't be like he and wouldn't for, roll his eyes. He wouldn't hold a. And there was plenty of times. Yeah, like for a guy like Clay Buckles has taken a lot more heat in this town than David Price ever has. Oh, and like if Clay oh. Buckles ever took like half the amount of stuff. Uh, you know, if he looked at it the same way Price did, uh, he would have just been terrible with us. But Buckles, like, never took any of that stuff. I don't know if he was just oblivious to it because, I mean, there was the perception out there that he was very soft and he was always getting hurt. He didn't, you know, people thought he didn't care that much, and he just never took that out on the media. Now, uh, number six, Carl Crawford, and I think Tomasi hits the nail on the head here. Crawford was honest to a fault with the yes. media. That is, that is absolutely accurate. So. Yeah, I mean Crawford was a nice guy. I mean, I can't say that. But he got, he got, you know. I just don't remember him being around very much to interview. At least that's he, by I, re- I mean, I did some interviews that were pretty pointed with him. Yeah. But it was, um, you know, he it, if if he feels like he was not shy about throwing people under the bus. Crawford, no. Yeah, like Francona the year after he yeah. left about where he was hitting in the lineup. Yeah, I mean Francona demoted him in the batting order like his third game or something. Yeah, he's like, like if I got, I have a manager like Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, number five, Daniel Bard. Absolutely oh, agree with Tremendous. That. Top yeah. shelf. Yeah. I mean, just a guy who's not going to give you a can answer, a guy who's smart, a guy who's going to talk to you like this. He was, uh, you know, Bard was basically the pitching version, I think, of Mike Lowell. Right? Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, where you need a quote to drop into a story, yeah. Yeah, he's going to give yeah. it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four, Xander Bogarts. I wouldn't put Bogarts ahead of some of these other guys, but he's definitely he definitely took a huge step forward this last yeah, year. Yeah, I'm a big Bogarts guy. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, like, once again, if we're going to power rank the quotes in that clubhouse. Yeah, he's, he's tops in the list. He's right one, yeah. right? I mean, is he? I mean, uh, again, Sale. I think Sale, you could say Sale and J.D. Martinez might be better quotes, but, yeah, I mean, when are they around? They're not, you know, Bogarts is a lot easier to get. Yeah, well, that's true. So you get points for that. Number three, Johnny Gomes. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's he'll he'll fill <laughs> it up he'll, he'll he'll fill it up for you anytime you need the, him the to. The great thing about Gomes is that he would he was a guy who would pause because he was like basically he would you ask the question he would pause and then you just know that whatever was coming after that pause yeah. wasn't was going to be this confluence of things where you're like this, this is really this is really good. Yeah, no, he he was a lot of fun to cover though because. You always knew he was going to give you something good. Uh, number three, Johnny Gomes. I mean, number, I'm sorry. Number, I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> uh, number two, David Ortiz. Yeah, he's got to be number one. I'm yeah, sorry. he's going to be number one. And, you know, he puts, so he puts J.D. Drew at number one. Like, I don't have a problem. I, love, I mean, we love J.D., yeah. obviously. I don't have a problem. 
I think, I think you know, with all due respect, John, friend of the FO Brad Fo show, um, but you know, that's a that's a just a putting a one just for the sake of conversation. One JD's, I I I would put him top ten because you know he says this is what he says about him. Um, True played because it made him rich. He's notoriously cheap and he wasn't really good at it. Oh no, he was really good at it, but he never wanted it to define him. A folksy conversationalist. He was also sneaky funny. Like the time he hopped up the dugout steps to booze during BP in Philly, proclaimed, this is my house. <laughs> and went four for five with a three-run homer. I, I remember the time, what did he say to you in Japan? Oh, yeah, Mr. Mister Japan. Because yeah. had, they had those exhibition games in Japan before they played uh, the A's. Yeah. And he went off on those. He had like two homers in each game or something. Like, oh, Mr. Japan. Then I put in on MLB.com, and he wasn't happy about the. That was the only time we ever got. He was he was good natured oh, about he was, it. He was come and go. He's like, oh come on, man! I didn't know you were going to put that in there. It was my, you know, this will forever be one of my favorite stories. When I was at the Eagle Tribune, and I did the story about him in the hyperbaric chamber, and I mean, and everything else oh, like yeah. that. And the, the hyperbaric chamber, the cosmo, the cosmonaut uh, contraption he had. That was one of the best stories of the decade. Ah, uh, well, yeah, the previous decade. Can we carry it over oh, this right, decade? Yeah, yeah. But Any it's decade. but. It, the thing is, is that he, that people don't know about JD, is that you couldn't, that he was a tape transcription nightmare because he oh, wouldn't right. stop talking when he got going. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is you, you didn't see him very much. So you'd only probably see, you know, interview him. But when he got going, yeah, no, he, he, he talked. Yeah. He, it, and Tomasi hit the nail on the head, too. And this has nothing to do with being a good quote or whatever. But people can get on him, but he had it right. Like, he was like, I'm going to hang out with my family instead of pouring champagne. Hey, hey. Like, he had a pretty good perspective was, on things. He was out of that clubhouse most of the time before the door. Oh, it, it was amazing. I don't even know how he did it. Yeah, and then it would be one of those things. He hit two homers and had five RBIs. And be like, ah, I didn't know you guys needed me. <laughs> and he hated TV cameras, too, by the way. Yeah. He, he was good with the writers, especially, the, you know, there was a few of us he liked and he trusted. And he, he was great with us, but... Uh, yeah, he he didn't like the the cameras at all. I mean, there's there's a lot of other guys. Like honestly, Cody Ross was good. Yeah. Um, I got well, I got a list here. All right, go ahead. You give. Right, me here's my. List. I did a position by position for the all decade. Right. Okay. Okay. All right, my ca- my catcher is Jared Saltalamakia. Uh, a lot of people would say Ross. Well, Ross but, isn't even on Tomasi's list, which yeah, is yeah, Ross is great, but he was the backup. You know, Saltalamakia was a not, star not at the end. Yeah. Right, yeah, not at the very end. Yeah, they were both good. Yeah, they were both they were both good. But Salsalamaki, we we needed him a little bit more because uh, he was playing more and he was just very accommodating, nice guy. I wasn't great about talking about how a pitcher did after a game because he would always, you know, they they were all great according to him. Even you know like, who could have been good? <laughs> Pazinski. Pazinski, yeah. Like oh he, yeah, he didn't. He, mar- yeah, he yeah, could have yeah. been he good. He, he could have been good. Yeah, yeah but, no. but you're right. Go ahead. My, my first right. baseman's Napoli. He was. He was great for for writers. I mean, he's one of those guys where you talk to him, and and you're like, oh yeah, he's talking in this kind of soft voice. And then you transcribe the tape, and you're like, this is great stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, you know, Pedroia at second base, always 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 well, entertaining. Yeah, but not not so much like the quote, not always like, but just like just entertaining to be around. It's just Pedroia is the ultimate hit or miss guy. Yeah. I mean, he's the ultimate. Like he could he could be as boring as boring can be. Right. And then out of nowhere, but then out of nowhere, he would just, you know, do his Pedroia thing. Which, by the way, 
became less and less. The Pedroia thing became less and less. You know, we both covered right, him early yeah. on. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was like that all the time. Yeah. Because he had a lot of veterans around yeah. him. And it was like, hey, I can be the wacky. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like once he started getting hurt and stuff, he didn't feel like you know, yelling things and telling everyone he's the best. Cause, you know, Corey the... Patterson isn't your second base? <laughs> no, I'm Whatever sorry. his name is, I don't know. Yeah, we've talked about Bogarts. He's the shortstop, you know, on a landslide. Not, not, um, um, not uh, who am I thinking of? <laughs> Oh man, the 2000, uh, 2011 shortstop. Scudero? Scudero. Oh, I like Scudero. I like Scudero but, too. Yeah, but but Bogus, go ahead. Bogus is great. Yeah. Uh, third base, you know, I just can't give it to Lowell because he was only there for the first year of the decade. Yeah, he would be and, a runaway. Yeah, he, he was, was. Uh, the decade before he was a runaway at third base. But uh, no, I went with Will Middlebrooks, who was all, another Over guy. Over Euclid? Oh, you. Yeah, I mean, Euclid was played first. He played third. Was he really? I mean, he was there for. I don't know. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I, th- I thought Middlebrooks was great. It was good. It was a weird dynamic because he come in from 2012 to 2013, and um, and there was a lot of expectations. And, like, the expectations were this guy's just going to hit in the middle of the order. Yeah. I mean, he was a beast And, in and he was a great spring training quote that yeah. time, even though he wasn't even – he was a rookie. Yeah. But, yeah, he was I'll a good quote. I'll give him quote. some props. And then uh, uh, Gomes, got to go with him. And uh, Mike Cameron was another guy. People forget about him. He, he was – he was a great guy, man. He, he was, he was a great guy, but I wouldn't say, like, I think he was overrated as a quote. Yeah. I think Although he, was, he did give me shoes one time. So he gave you shoes. <laughs> right that was, that was the only, so I, I had, I guess I had bad shoes, and then one day he shows, he gives me two pairs of Cole Hans, and I'm sorry, journalistic integrity out the door. <laughs> I'm taking these shoes as a guy, which, by the way, I still wear to these de- well, this day. Well, I used David Ortiz batting gloves in the media game for many years oh, until they finally oh, ripped. But, uh, <laughs> right. And then uh, Shane Victorino, man, that guy was uh, – you didn't know what you were going to get, but he was he was really good. And ironically, ironically, it's – at the beginning, we didn't know what to make of him. Remember that? Yeah. We yeah. really, and I remember. He was a little booty. Yeah, so Kevin Gregg, the PR guy for the Red Sox, who's still there, he had come from Philadelphia with Shane Victorino. And so we're, he was, like, Victorino was, it was hard to figure out at yeah. first. And he was sort of, no, this is how he is. This is, you know, sort yeah. of guiding through. And then he just be, I think more, as he got more comfortable with everybody around oh, him. Oh, remember too. when he went off on uh, Felger Mass? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I, you, you know how I remember that? Because I got a text from him. From Victorino? A, of a screenshot of their audio file. Oh, geez. So, like, what had happened, this is how it works. Is that somebody, one of his buddies, sent him the audio file of this. And then, you know, then he becomes aware of it because he's not, like, they, listening to the show. They were ripping him for saying that he would trade, uh, I think it was, what, Swihart. It was in spring training. Yeah, he said he would trade Swihart and somebody for Cole Hamels. That's what Felger and Mass turned it into. Yeah. Victorino was saying, that's not, that's not what I said. And he, <laughs> yeah, he went, he went ballistic. Yeah, that, that was great, though. So you got pitchers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, the DH is Ortiz. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no prater. Yeah. Uh, John Lester. I, I thought he was he was he was tremendous. He's, yeah. yeah, I mean he, he's. I thought he really got better after Beckett left too. For some reason, well, he, he I did an interview with him. I think it was after he left, and he said, "I just stopped giving a shit. Like yeah. I stopped. Like I understood that you just couldn't you couldn't care so much. Yeah, and you could see that with him, right? Oh yeah. yeah. You, I mean, after you felt like after Beckett left after because then I think he became I'm more the leader of this pitching staff now. So, I, you know, I don't have to worry. I think he was walking on on eggshells a little more. Yeah, I think there was a definite change around like 20, 2013 was when I really noticed that he became great. To All right. With. Who else is on the list? Because I'm already yeah. I can't wait for this. Well, Por- Porcello's the Porcello, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was just very accountable. Never made an excuse. Are you doing lefty righty? 
Yeah, I, just, I thought you were going to do like rotation. I, I didn't do a whole rotation. Okay. No, I, didn't, I didn't do a whole rotation. I'm what sorry. do you do? So and now then you I, do got a clo- I got a closer. Papelbon's the closer. Oh, God. You know, Lance. Yeah. I mean, he could have been, he could have been there for a he month. Said that, uh, he told you that uh, David Ortiz was like more impactful than Ted Williams. <laughs> like at a time when it was crazy to say that. And like five years later, you're like, yeah, he might have been kind of right about I that. I can't tell you. When we talk about clubhouses <laughs> and how they've changed and, and how Papelbon was nuts, but he was. I mean, he was so awesome to have around. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he was talking about a guy who didn't care what he said. And, by the way, and, by the way, after he blew the game in Baltimore in 2011, stood there for an hour. Oh, yeah. Answering questions. He did, yeah. Yeah. Wave after wave after wave after interview. So, so um, is that it for pitchers? That, no, it? I got some setup, man. Right, I, got, go I, got, I got Bard and uh, Andrew Miller. As my, as yeah, my those are solid. Yeah, two solid guys. Yeah, Miller was really – Miller Kelly, was, You know Joe Kelly? Joe Kelly, in, too, yeah. Oh, he's in he's there? On okay. there? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Miller was, like, underrated good. Like, he's another smart guy. Well, he's a smart guy, yeah. 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 He's yeah. UNC guys. Yeah. And then uh, my manager is Terry Francona. Because, I mean, he was, he was great to deal with from, from a media standpoint. Not Bobby Valentine? And I'm not even kidding. Yeah, no, nah, he just he just kind of cashed in a little bit too much. But he, was, but he said, like, crazy stuff. I know, but I just – I don't know. Uh, you're you're a, you're a I'm Frank. A, I'm a Frank Ona guy, man. I'm a Frank Ona guy. Okay, for at risk of people making fun of me, no Beckett. I like Beckett. I do. I, like I get another outfielder for you too. Who's? Uh, oh no, I forget. It's not this decade. Shoot. Who are you gonna say? Jason Bay. Oh, Jason Bauer. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was oh eight and oh nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Beckett, I did like Beckett a lot. I mean, if I did a full five-man rotation, he probably makes it. I mean, I went back and looked at that last Lanai sit-down I did with him. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. Like, it wasn't, like, because he was talking about the stuff that happened in 2011, about, like, <laughs> the the quote, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, sorry, I'm prioritizing my family over baseball and all those <laughs> all those who don't like it can go at themselves. Kiss my ass. Yeah, yeah. kiss my ass. Yeah, no, he, he was great. I mean, the thing about him is you had a good thing with him where it became like the day after the start, <laughs> go find me. Well, that, but, well, people, in, case people, in case people don't know, like that, that he basically said that I'm going to be available the day after I start but not any other day of the week. Yeah, that so it's like an appointment for you every. Well, I mean, <laughs> he, I mean, he was. It was the same thing when you have someone with a good quote. While you take, you find something to talk to the guy about. Yeah, no, Becker was good. I just found, I just, I just found he wasn't as available enough to be like on my pantheon team, especially when he stopped talking to media. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially when he wasn't talking <laughs> at all. But no, I, I did like Becker because I found him to be a straight shooter. A lot of people didn't like him because he didn't. Kiss their ass or whatever, but I I always like Beckett. Well, that's the thing is that like the honesty people want you to be honest, and then they don't want you to be honest. Right? Yeah. So I mean, that, that whole the press conference when he when he took the heat about the uh, going golfing while yeah. he's on the DL or whatever, and he's like, we only have nineteen off days. I'm gonna yeah. use them any way I want. I mean, that that was another great another great moment was when we went to um, when he was traded, and the Dodgers were playing in Colorado, so the the Red Sox were playing out west. Yeah. So Sean McAdam who was working at Comcast at the time, and myself were the only Boston writers who stopped in Colorado to see Beckett. And so Beckett's doing his thing, and T.J. Simers is is doing his, like, you know, everyone says you're an asshole. Are you an asshole? Like, literally. Yeah, yeah. And, and he goes, and Beckett's, like, playing along, and Beckett goes to Sean's, like, you know, well, no, like, you know, like, Sean, like, you, you like me, right? 
And the, the audio of it was so priceless because it was like a 10-second pause. <laughs> Sean was like, sure, uh, I guess yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's – it's I and I understand, like, like, you know, I'm sure it's like this with Price with some people too. It's like he, he's, he's, he's really, like, doesn't – he gives some guys a hard time. He doesn't give other guys a hard time. Becca yeah. was the same way. I, I got that. A lot of with with prices, you kind of sift through the moods because. Well, it's. I mean, sometimes he's going to give you the great quotes, and other times he's going to yell at you for. Yeah, and that's why no other honestly, reason other than he's in a and bad That's mood. why I said when I said talk about guys being available, I I think I remember saying to you like I can't, you know, Beckett's sitting there, um, and and he was available. Like to say he wasn't available would be inaccurate. He was, right. but nobody wanted to talk to him because they're afraid he was they're afraid be like, of him. Oh, and there was an element price is always available and I can tell you like sometimes I just don't want to yeah. deal with it. And so I, it's a little hypocritical but I, that's the dynamic. I mean, I give all of them credit anyone who's sitting in front of the locker to be available because there's plenty of guys who aren't available. Yeah, especially right? home games. Yeah. All right, good stuff. That was good. That was a lot better than I thought it would be because I was unorganized with it. Just got to roll with it sometime. Yeah, but uh, good job, Ian. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano spray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.